I realize that um, this is a little unusual. Uh, we don't normally do something like this um, in a Sunday gathering. Um, but I have uh, worn my official funeral jacket um, because the one we lay to rest today has been a part of Heart of Life Church for many, many years. Was here before me, has lived a long life, and the full impact would certainly be impossible to measure. The one we lay to rest today has been quoted frequently around here, has affected hearts and empowered actions in countless situations, and is known especially well within the circle of leaders that exist in Heart of Life. Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today to Lay to rest the Pareto Principle. The Pareto Principle. As in the Italian economist Vilfredo, not Alfredo, Vilfredo Pareto, real name, who in 1906, this principle became named after when it started in his garden, when he noticed that 20% of the pea pods produced 80% of the peas that he harvested. But the significance was Pareto went on to attach this principle when he looked across the wealth of his country, Italy, and he realized that 80% of the wealth belonged to 20% of the population. It then came to be called the Pareto principle. In church life, it is simply referred to as the 80-20 rule. Anybody ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Yeah, this, this, this is how it goes. 80% of the ministry in most churches are done by, you want to guess? 20% of the members. 80% of the financial resources that are given to fund the mission to which the church is called typically are given by 20% of the people. This principle is so common that I think it is true that many people involved in church life today would simply look at you and just go, it's just the way it is. Like, it's been this way most of our life. To be honest with you, it's always been this way, and it will always be this way. But I am here to declare to you today that when you actually read God's Word, it does not have to be 
so. In fact, it's not supposed to be so. And so after today, after today, I am asking that the 80-20 rule will never, ever be mentioned at Heart of Life again. That's my request. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not declaring that we are going to reach this absolute level of perfection where 100%, right, every member at Heart of Life is always going to be fully engaged. But I am saying that we are going to operate as though 100% will. I am going to shift my thinking. That every individual who claims to be a member of Heart of Life, I'm expecting they will engage. And I'm asking you to join me in that expectation. So, today, I am asking you to join me in committing the 80-20 rule To the grave, and that it will never rise again. Is that not the weirdest introduction to a sermon that you've ever heard in your life? I want to welcome you to Heart of Life today. We really are grateful that you have joined us for this funeral, all right? Wherever you may be joining us from, we're grateful that you would take the time and that we could be together in these moments. Um, This is a cool season for us as a church because when you ask the question, maybe Jeff, Jeff, uh, okay, okay, it's okay to say that, but do you really believe that we can bury this? Like, do you you really believe that this can be so? And that is what we're going to talk about today as we, the church, are talking about next steps Next steps for Heart of Life, not just for next year, but we have been praying over the last year, God, what does this look like for the next decade for Heart of Life? And I'm telling you, one of the next steps is to bury the 80-20 rule. We are digesting, I guess you would call it, a brand new statement of purpose for us as a church. When we ask the question, who is heart of life? What are we about? What is the heart of life? This is the way we are learning now to answer that question. It is Jesus, his family, his mission. That's who we are and this is what we're about. We are a people living out what it means to know Jesus. We are a people living out what it means to belong to his family. We are a people living out what it is to leverage our lives for the mission to which Jesus called us for heart of life. These are the rhythms to which our heart beats. And some of y'all know when your heart's out of rhythm, you know it. You know it. Well, last week we added to this what what I'm describing as God's design, his, his method for seeing that it really can be lived out by every single person. 
right? That everybody, it could be about Jesus, his family, and his mission. And there are two words that we're adding to this statement. These are the words to which God says, this is how it flows. It's equip and it's engage. Last week we saw it. He said, leaders, you are to equip. The word means to provide whatever is necessary. Some of that is teaching, we saw. That we would teach, here's what God's redemptive story really is. And here's who you are within that story. But what we also learned is that there's not supposed to be equipping without engaging. Because we equip God's people for works of ministry. I'm declaring to you, this is not God's design for 20% of heart of life. It's his design for us all. It's his design for us all. Equipped and engaged. Today I want you to hang out with me in Romans chapter 12 for a little bit because it's another place in the Bible that absolutely gives clarity to this principle. Romans chapter 12. We're just going to look at a few verses. I'm going to start with verse 4. Romans chapter 12, take a look at verse 4. Here's what it says. For just as each of us has one body with many members, we got to get rid of the funeral jacket. It's hot. I'm hot. I know it's 18 degrees, but it's hot. All right. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So here's here's what God does. God uses a healthy, functioning, physical body in order to demonstrate a healthy, functioning, spiritual body. He's like, come on, this is clear. You got a body, and that body's got a lot of parts. And each one of those parts, right, has a different function. But none of those parts are to be operating on their own. They are connected. They are operating as one unit, as one body. We belong to Jesus, But it is also true from Scripture, we belong to one another. Did you read that? The parts belong to one another. This is a point to which I feel passionate at this season in the life of the church. You cannot say that you love Jesus but do not love his body. It's impossible. You cannot say that you are connected to Jesus and not connected to his family. It's impossible. Scripture says we belong to Jesus, but it also says that we belong to one another. Some of y'all are old enough to remember. Remember the Adams family? Remember that? Y'all remember... You remember that thing on the Adams family? Anybody remember the thing on the Adams? Somebody tell me what the thing was. 
It was a hand. Remember that? It, it was just a hand. Some of y'all can go check out history, all right? It, it was just a hand. Now, it wasn't gruesome. Like, it wasn't this weird gruesome. It was just a hand that was like in the show. And the hand just did things in the show. It wasn't gruesome, but it's weird. It's weird. And I'm declaring to you today, that's what some people look like who claim to follow Jesus, but are not connected to the body of Christ in the sense. They do not connect to God's family. They, there, there is not interaction. There is not a with factor. We, we, it's weird. We, we, we look like a hand just trying to operate on its own. Scripture says, you know, that's not how your body is built to work. Well, guess what? That's not how the body of Christ is built to work either. We got all these different parts and every part is important. The more birthdays some of us have, the more we find that truth to be so very real because there are parts you don't think about until they don't work right. All the parts matter. All the parts matter. And when it comes to the body of Jesus as heart of life, this local body, every part matters. Here's what he says, verse 6. We have different gifts, okay? All these parts of the body. We got different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now that word grace means we don't earn it. We don't earn it. These are not things that we have earned. These are gifts as in they are given to us by God. And the purpose of these gifts is to build up the body and fulfilling the mission that God has called us to. These gifts are, are, are more than talent. Now, I also believe that talents are given by God, right? But, but talents can belong to anybody that, that, that God has given breath. But when you meet Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, when he comes to live within you, there is a supernatural empowerment that takes place. He gives you supernatural ability to serve. And we're going to read a little list of some of those here in a second. But I want you to realize it does not mean that you only serve the body in those areas that you are most gifted. It doesn't mean that. When we read this list in a minute, I'm going to submit to you that there are other places in Scripture that's going to say every one of us should be, should be loving the body in every one of these ways. But the way I sometimes describe it is what happens, though, is when you meet Jesus and you become a part of his family, the Holy Spirit gives you gifts, and it's as though you begin to see life through this particular lens, which enables the body to make sure that we're always making sure we're walking as we should in that particular lens. We're always making sure that we're strong in that particular lens because you are gifted. You are strong in that area. Your heart beats to that rhythm. Therefore, the body stays 
strong when all the parts work together. Let me show you the list. Verse 6, I do not believe this is an exhaustive list. There are other places in Scripture where we read of, of gifts, um, but I'm just going to read a few of those to you today. Here's what he says. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Jesus empowers us to use our gifts. I want to make sure you get that. Jesus empowers us to use the gifts that he gives us. This is bigger than feeling inspired in a particular area or or maybe just thinking that you're good at something. Here's what this is. This is allowing Jesus to pour his life into you And then from the fullness of who he is that lives in you, you pour out your self to others. That's the picture. He pours into you, you pour into others. So uh, let's just take one for the second. That word prophesying kind of freaks a lot of people out, all right? Uh, Like, like what is that about? And, And if you understand it in this sense that prophesying it is not just the, 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 the concept of being able to foretell something that hasn't happened yet or to know something about someone that hasn't been you know, revealed in somebody. But, but prophesying is also a fundamental, it is foretelling the truth of God. It is proclaiming the truth of God. It is declaring what God has said. So, The picture here is Jesus empowers you to prophesy. He empowers you to speak his word because he has done that perfectly, not just speaking on behalf of God, but fully revealing who God is. Jesus is the word, and now that he resides in us, pouring into us, we now are able to pour into others. It doesn't start with us, it starts with God. And when he begins that work in you, he empowers you, and it's like being a conduit of his grace. He pours in, and he pours through to others. I, being the coffee fan that I am, refer to this as a supernatural pour over. That's what this is. All right? Now, I like coffee, so anytime I can use coffee to teach spiritual truths, I'm all in. All right? I think they go together. I do. It is a supernatural pour-over. Some, some of you maybe you've, you've heard the pour-over language, and I remember when pour-overs first came to be, it's like, well, what in the world is a pour-over? A pour-over doesn't seem any different than, than like you put coffee in a coffee pot and the water runs through and it, it, it makes coffee. What's the difference? Well, some of it, it's a pour-over is much more typically a manual process where you can control things like the temperature 
of the water. And so if you're wanting a, a peak brewing temperature, then you're like, okay, 205 degrees is it. 205 degrees, I'm going to heat the water to that level. And, and, and so you're able to control that. You're able to control the distribution of water. It usually, you heat it in a kettle, and they usually have like a long neck on it like you see in the picture. And, and, and so you can determine how fast you pour the water. You, you can determine the placement of the water where you make sure that the grounds are completely saturated with that water. And I'm saying when you get the right gear, you got the right dripper and filter and kettle and grinder and all that stuff, and you got the right process of pour speed and water temp and coffee water ratio and ground coarseness and and then you get the right ingredients you got good coffee and you got good water and somebody who knows what they're doing the result is remarkable it's remarkable but not compared to what the almighty God is doing in you. When he chooses to pour himself into and through you, the spirit of God alive in you. I, I'm not sure we remind each other enough of the fact that it, it, is, it is not... It is not just that like we know a God and he's over there. No, we, we know a God who says, I, I dwell within you. I, I know a God who I make home in you. you. The temple of the Holy Spirit, he lives in us. At one point, Jesus said he was like living water that flows. There is a supernatural pour over that God his spirit is doing in your life a beautiful aroma to your life that you pour out what he is pouring into you. So think about this. The list that we read earlier, Jesus didn't come, right, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. And so now when you serve, you are pouring into others what he has poured into you. When Jesus taught, he, he taught with authority as the mouthpiece of God himself. And so now, when you are gifted to teach, when you stand to teach, you are pouring out what he has poured into you. When it comes to encouragement, come on, you don't see Jesus walking around just playing the, the flattery game and right, just falsely puffing people up, but Jesus had the ability to identify even the tiniest seed of faith and to see that seed grow into its full potential. So now when you are given a gift of encouraging, you are pouring into others what Jesus himself literally has, has poured into you. It says, Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor, right? So that through his poverty, we would become rich. And so now, when you have this gift of giving, you are pouring out what has been poured into you. When Jesus led, how did he do that? He sacrificially laid down his life. And so now, when you are gifted to lead, you are pouring out what has been poured into you. 
And it is Jesus who loved us. We who were once enemies of God have been transformed into children of God. And so now when we show mercy, when we step into the needs of other people's lives, we are simply pouring out the compassion that Jesus is pouring into us. In other words, you are equipped. (laughs) You must engage. You must engage. And the best way I know for people to learn their spiritual gift is to start serving within the body. Start interacting within the body. There is no doubt for me, some of you are going to begin to pick up on what some of your spiritual gifts are in this season of our church where there are events that we get to do together. We're doing the drama together. And, and when you just say, hey, I'll be a part, and you start to serve within the body, and you start to interact within the body, it is amazing. It is supernatural how God starts to show you those things that he has built your heart for, the things that he is pouring into you that he wants you to pour out. Now, I know you can figure out your spiritual gifts if you take a test, Right? It's like we turn everything into a test. And I'm not saying tests are bad because I think learning is good and anytime we're taking knowledge, and, but come on, don't, don't take the test if you're never going to step. <laughs> don't just take the test so that when the conversation rises, do you know your spiritual gift, you're able to go, yes, I know what mine is. No, let the answer to do you know your spiritual gift be evidenced by the fact that everybody else knows the answer to what your spiritual gift is because you are connected to the body of Christ. You are serving, and they're like, yeah, that dude's an encourager. Yeah, she's a teacher, right? They, They recognize those gifts because you are pouring it out. On one occasion, the Apostle Paul said these words, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 He said, pray also for me, and I love this next section, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. I just recently just been made aware that that is an interesting sequence of events. Now, did God gift the apostle Paul to preach? Yeah. I mean, we look at his life, we look at the story, and the evidence is there, yeah. But what Paul says is, when I preach, may words be given. In other words, when I engage. I have been poured into, but when I engage, may words be given me. Some of you are going to figure out what it is that God has empowered when you serve and when you teach and when you encourage and when you give and when you lead and when you show mercy. What does it mean if nothing is pouring through? What does it mean if nothing is pouring from your life? There's a couple of possibilities. Probably more than that, just a couple I'm going to. One is that you don't belong. 
And don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I'm not saying you can't belong, but I'm saying that you don't belong. I'm saying God's desire is that you do belong. But if there is no spirit of God alive in you, not as family, but the scripture says that when we call on his name in faith, a turning to Jesus in faith, none of us deserve, none of us earn, but when we turn to Jesus in faith by his grace, he will forgive and he will come and dwell within and he makes me his kid. Look, I realize this is not the most popular thing for me to say today. But I want you to know that we love you enough to say, come on, if you don't belong, your next step is to call out to Jesus and ask him to save you. But maybe you do belong, but the reason nothing's pouring through is because you're distracted. I'm using the word distracted to encompass maybe it's sin, right? And I don't mean that you got to be perfect because not a single one of us gathered are, are perfect here today. There is sin that occurs in our life, but when there is sin that I am refusing to run from, when there is sin that I know is sin, but I am just staying in this sin regardless, even though I know God says don't go there, even though I know God says this hurts my heart, when I don't run from that, there is no pouring out. Or sometimes, y'all, it's just being busy. Like sometimes when you feel like there's nothing being poured out, it's like it's because we're just busy. And I think Jesus knew that. It's a part of, remember the parable of the sower? One of the seeds falls among the thorns. And when Jesus explains it, he says what that means is that's somebody who's heard the word, but the, but the stuff of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and it makes us start chasing after all this other stuff in the world and that busyness. And we don't see a supernatural pour over happening in our life. I'm asking you today, what's your next step? What's your next step? Uh, there is a reason. There is a reason that we have changed the name of our eye centers at each location. So at each location of Heart of Life, we usually have a, a spot that we call the eye center. It's where people used to come because the eye stood for information. And we are asking that we make a shift from just information to engagement. And so what if we literally declare it with the terms that we use that this is not just a place where you go to get the next info. This is a place where you go to get some info so that you can engage, take the next step. What's your next step? We are seeing a shift in people and even how people approach the church. It is really no longer about a church building an attractive place where people can just sit and sit and sit until they believe. What, what we are discovering is it is becoming a place where people who don't even believe yet 
set foot into the church ready to engage. And you know why that is? They want to be a part of a purpose. We live in a culture that's searching for a purpose. And even unbelievers engage because they want to be a part of a purpose. But I'm saying real believers who follow Jesus, we engage because that purpose pours from within us. It is him who has poured into us and now through our heart, always taking next steps to know Jesus, to belong to his family, to leverage our lives for him. Some of us as leaders, our next step is to let go of just accomplishing the task and start operating with the mindset that God has called us to equip. Wherever you may lead in heart of life, one of the things that has to shift in us going forward, because I know sometimes it's easier to just do it yourself. Isn't it? Like you got a task and it needs to be done and it's just easier to do it yourself. And if you start to involve other people in that process, sometimes they don't do it like you wish it would be done. And then at the end of the process, people look at it and, no, look, if we're going to put the 2080 rule to death, it's going to mean a shift has to happen. The next step has to happen with leaders across Heart of Life that say, we're going to put equipping ahead of just accomplishing a task. That's hard sometimes. Because come on, we all like approval and we all like to do it in a way that when it's done, people look at us and go, now they got that done. Now that was done at a level that was perfect. I'm just warning you that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and some of us are going to be shocked because he's going to go, yeah, you, you did a good job pulling off that project. But did you read what I actually asked you to do? Equip the people. Which means what I really wanted you to do is bring some people alongside of you, walk it out together, and together as the body, you bring glory to me. What's your next step? What's your next step? Um... Not too long ago, we gave you a little magnet. It has a, another QR code on it. Today, my, I feel like we already saw the power of God at work today because my dad adequately explained to you how to use a QR code, all right? I mean, he did it. It was like, that was just straight on. Um, look, the reason we give you these is because it makes it easy if, you, if you'll just take a second to learn how to do it. This QR code that if you didn't get it, there's a magnet you can pick up when you leave. Uh, when you walk in every building, you'll see those. You click on that QR code, and it immediately takes you to just this list of not only what's happening, but I want you to see it as a list of how can you engage. It'll tell you the latest things that are taking place, how you can get involved, but it, it also connects you to things like life teams. Come on, for some of you, your next step, whatever we call this in the future, whatever form they end up taking, I'm just telling you, you're better when you operate with a small group of God's people. You're better. 
And so people start asking, well, okay, then how much time is that going to take? Like, okay, like if we meet during the week, how how many hours? I've I've stopped asking how many hours and started trying to ask the question this way. I'm better when I'm with God's people, so how much better do I want to be? How much better do I want to be? And that's going to drive how much I'm working within the family of God. Some of you, that's a step you need to take. For some of you, it's something like giving. It's something like giving. And I'm saying this today, if you don't know what God teaches about giving, we're going to be doing that in the next few weeks because the book of Philippians, which we have been going through all year long, is going to lead us to talk about that for a little bit. I'm asking you to to get in on it because I promise you it is not burdensome. It is freeing. It's freeing if you'll hear what God has to say. But if you already know what God has to say about that, then what's left for you to do? Take a step. Take a step. Rick, would you come this way, man? There's one other thing I want to just talk to you about before we close today in terms of taking a step, and that's going back to what my dad so adequately uh, explained how to do earlier in regards to follow the shepherd. We are getting ready, um, just weeks away now, of a drama that we as a church are going to be um, doing together, and it literally involves hundreds of people to be able to put it on and Um, We're excited about that. And the challenge that's already been given to you today is um, who are you going to invite? Who are you going to invite? And um, for those of you that may not know, this is Mr. Rick Morrison. Would you guys welcome him today? Um, If I were to ask you the question, what difference does it make if somebody invites you? How would you answer that? I would say it makes all the difference in the world. Um, my wife and I tried to figure out. It's been a while. It's been, what, almost 20 years ago we figured out. I was invited. I was invited by a neighbor. Um, he loved me. I mean, it was, it became very obvious. But I didn't come to church. Um, and he knew that, you know, he knew I needed it. He knew I needed everybody, you know, all of y'all. But he asked me to come, and, and I just kind of brushed it off. I said, nah, no, not interested. No, it's not for me. And he didn't give up. He just, he kept asking. As time went on, you know, this was a couple months before, you know, as like Jeff said, this, there's so much planning goes into this, it, it doesn't happen in a day. So he just kept talking to me about it. You know, they'd come over for supper, you know, and we'd, we'd talk about it. And finally, I just said, you know what? All right, I'll go see the play. And, and I, I say play because I literally thought I was going to sit here and watch something on the stage. I had no idea. So time come for us to come up. It was our, our time, so we showed up here, and, well, I had no idea. I had no idea what was in store for me. I was here to see a play. So we sat out here. We're waiting our turn, you know, visiting with people. Some I knew, some I didn't. As we start through the walkthrough drama, my heart opened. 
God, God had other plans. As we worked our way through, and I don't want to spoil the whole story because I don't know the story for this year, but, you know, every room. It's different, so you won't give it away. Good. Okay. Very good. <laughs> every room portrays a different decision that you may make in your life. Um, you may be a follower of God already, and that, that room may portray that decision, and you may not. You may, you may choose to make uh, other decisions you're not following God or, you know, you have other vices. Um, those could be numerous. But I will say that the story, it will hit you on a personal level some way. There's at some point in your life you've dealt with a particular part of the story in some way or another. I don't know how that may be. Um, but as we went through, I started seeing myself in those bad decisions where am I going? You know, where, where's life taking me? So we work our way through and kind of fast forward. We get to a small room back here in the corner. We walk in, it's dark, it's hot, and it stinks in there. And it was hell. And literally that room was what we called hell. I walked in and I was one of the first in, thank goodness, because I found myself at the back of the room. I wanted as far away from that as I could. I was against the wall. So as hell portrays at the end, they asked the question, you know, so, so where are you going to go? And then they called my name and asked me to step forward. Me among others. I was not the only name. But I was at first, you know, how, how, do they, how do they know me? They know my name. How, how is this possible? I was glued to that wall. But I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I could hear somebody telling me that it's okay. And that hand was kind of pushing me to step forward. I, looked, I turned to look. It's a wall. Well... I can tell you now who was standing behind me because that wall wasn't there. That wall was God. But I stepped forward. I took that step. And then they asked, you know, where, where do you see yourself? What, what decision do you want to make? Is this the life that you want? Well, I knew right then that wasn't the life I wanted. There's no way. So we leave there. Couldn't wait to get out of there. We come into this room, and it's decorated as to the best that we know how, as heaven may look. To walk in here and see angels, the kids, and to hear the message that, uh, that was given to me in heaven about the acceptance of God and what he's done and has already done for me that I couldn't see. So after going through that, we go to, a, go to another room, and, it, and it's just a room kind of recap, you know, what we just saw. And if you have any questions, you know, it's your opportunity to ask, as well as there's counselors. So if you have, you know, if you want to speak privately with somebody, you could. And I didn't take the opportunity that night. I was still taking it all in, a little nervous still, scared, didn't know what all this meant. 
my wife had been asking me for some time about coming to church, and I just hadn't acted on it. I think she was a little surprised Sunday morning. I was up early, dressed and ready, and I said, we're, we're coming here. So we came to church, and then after the message, you know, Jeff always gives the invitation that if you want prayer, you know, to meet him up here, meet somebody. And that morning, I met Jeff right here. And I told Jeff that something's got to change. But it all comes from being invited. Guys, don't, don't mistake that invitation. Don't be afraid to. You know, knock, if you have to, knock on your neighbor's doors. I know Derek mentioned that a few weeks ago about that. It's hard to do. It's something I've learned to do. And it's worth it. I'm proof. every once in a while that Rick and Tana and my wife and I will maybe go have dinner and I don't mind telling you that every once in a while after those kind of evenings are over and I come back home and his is one of those stories where I just go what would happen like what what would be different if Jesus hadn't invaded his heart what would be different if a friend had not loved him enough to invite. So my question is, who are you going to invite? Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to bring with you? If you don't know anybody to invite, what does that mean if you don't know anybody disconnected from Jesus? But I bet you do. But if you know somebody and it's just a moment of fear, right? It's, it's the what if. Come on. You heard what he said. Think about what hangs in the balance here. The story is different than what he described, by the way. There's, I'm just going ahead and telling you up front, there's not a heaven and a hell. This is a Christmas story that we're going to tell, but it leads to the same great name who is Jesus. Don't underestimate what God can do. So I'm going to ask the band to come this way. And in just a second, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to make the offer that we'll be right over there if anybody needs prayer. If you need Jesus today or to take a next step today, we would be so honored to help you, right, to turn to him. But just recently, I was introduced to um, a song, paying attention to the lyrics. The lyrics go like this. I think we got them. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song, because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. I love, I love when lyrics like that, when, when, when it says, come on, my soul, the psalmist does that, if you've ever actually read the psalms. He will preach to himself. Like, he knows some truths, but he's like, come on. You know what he's doing? He's going, I got the information. Come on, soul, engage. Take a step. Lift up your song, because you got a lion inside those lungs. We're, 
those lyrics are not saying, at least for us, you're strong enough. You're good enough. The lion is just one. That is the Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah who lives inside of you. So you know who God's put on your heart to invite. You feel the fear. Come on, soul. Invite. Because there is a lion inside your lungs. Ask him to roar. Let's pray. God, I'm asking you to help us to be a people who walk it out. God, not just the people who plan events like a drama to be able to come together and do something cool and then applaud and go, look what we did. God, this is about introducing people to you. This is about an opportunity to demonstrate love. It's an opportunity to reach out to a neighbor, to reach out to a family member. God, an invite that could be the moment that you open the door for them to see how you love. God, I'm asking you to stir the hearts of your people. God, help us to step. God, thank you for what you're going to do. God, in each of our hearts today, will you help us, help us to take truth and live it. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask.